Friends, family, visitors, welcome. We are sincerely glad you're with us today. Um, my name is Derek. That was my wife, Courtney, beautifully reading uh, the passage. And our family has been in Genesis six, seven years now, serving and loving Genesis. Genesis has been serving and loving us for about six or seven years now. So if you're looking for a sweet, down-to-earth, authentic gospel community, I think you may have found it here. Uh, at least from our testimony, we believe that. Uh, I want to say something. Uh, oh, I want to say Happy Father's Day, first of all, to all the dads in the room. Happy Father's Day. I had an uh, experience recently with my kids. They're running around, making noise, having fun. Not too much noise, but making noise. And uh, my wife was in mid-conversation with somebody, and I was standing back watching all this. She was laughing, telling a story, and just had this feeling come in that I, I've been trying to think about and put words to. So, um, there, And so what I want to communicate to you is that there's something intangibly real and present, something that the younger me never could have expected. It's fatherhood is a gift or a blessing. I actually don't know how to describe it best, except it is the best. <laughs> All, any success I imagine as a younger man or accomplishments dreamed of in my lifetime simply don't compare to the legacy that I'm currently cultivating. The little ones that look to me to be protecting, providing, and tickling, and loving, and liking. I can't quite put my finger on the, thank you, the joy and the satisfaction that I get um, the, when I lock eyes with my loved one, with my beloved, I have to catch my breath when she smiles and when she frowns. I mean, uh, I wish I could bottle all of this up and preserve it, this intangible feeling. I, I, uh, we try to capture it on photo and video, but I don't feel like I control any of it. I feel like it's just happening to me, and I'm along for the ride. I'm grateful, hopeful, present, and involved Losing my temper, misplacing my patience, you know, uh, but I'm present, involved, communicating, failing and failing and repenting and growing and serving and learning. To simply put it, I'm all in for whatever the Lord may bring. Fatherhood is an intangible blessing that impacts immediately and reverberates for generations. Happy Father's Day, gentlemen. Happy Father's Day. Okay, pray with me, and then uh, we'll look at the passage here. Lord, thank you for gathering us here. Um, would you be with us right now and show us your word, your truth? Would you speak to us? Uh, make my words true uh, to use your words, Lord. Um, soften the hearts of the people. Open their eyes. Help them to see you today. Would you change hearts, change lives uh, and also, Lord, I want to pray for uh, anyone in the room who doesn't have a father anymore or never really had a father. Lord, that you would show them today the, the graciousness and the goodness of you as their heavenly father. That you would not give them a stone. You would not give them a snake. You provide everything that they need for nourishment and life and joy. Uh, would we experience that today? And would we know you more and would we learn more about ourselves? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this passage in Judges, 
Uh, Hans did the first sermon last week, and all of the he did a lot of context and a lot of prep work for me. That so I'm not going to rehash all of that. You can listen to that, but just to make sure we're all on the same page here, we uh, this chapter specifically is like an overview of the book. It's kind of a bird's eye view of of the cycle and the pattern that the Israelites find themselves in. Uh, throughout the rest of the book. So as we go to next week when Justin preaches and, and further on, we're going to look at specific stories of these judges and what's happening and what the people are doing and how the Lord is providing for them, um, caring for them, but disciplining them, correcting them, rebuking them all the while. It's, it's kind of chaotic, to be honest, uh, and it really screams to the point of the people need a leader. The people need someone uh, over them, which we know today, 2023, right here in Spring, Texas, that we have Jesus. <laughs> we have, he has come down from perfect unity and fellowship with the Father to be with us, to meet us in our need where we can't help ourselves. We don't know what we're doing. We get into these cycles of monotonous routine or just foolishness or folly or, or we're surrounded by the culture, which is what the Israelites is. They're surrounded by these other cultures who are indoctrinating them at every turn and, and have all these other practices and all these wicked, sinful ways that the Lord does not call his people to. So we should find a lot of relation to this story, to these people. Um, and so I want to say this chapter that we're going to go through kind of step by step, and really the whole book is the people of Israel's downward spiral into sin and corruption and complete integration with the pagan nations. This, serves, this, this chapter serves as a reminder of the importance of faithfulness to God's commands and the consequences of disobedience. Um, there's sowing and there is reaping. And yet, the silver lining, the crimson cord, or what the Bible calls the hope and anchor of our soul, is the long-suffering, steadfast faithfulness of our God. So today, that's what I'm hoping to accomplish is to lift our eyes to see the goodness and graciousness and faithfulness of God in spite of our foolishness, in spite of our sinfulness, and outright rebellion even, as you will see. This should draw us to repentance. This should draw us to worship God rather than just navel-gazing at ourself, being so consumed with how I feel and what's going on with me, or creating this works-based righteousness of now, okay, now I know what to do, so now I can earn God's favor. That's not what we're accomplishing today. Today should accomplish repentance, a heart of gratitude for the faithfulness of God. Um, and so I'm going to give you my propositional statement because that's what uh, we call it, or that they call it in uh, seminary. Hans has been helping us preach, by the way, so hopefully you see an improvement. <laughs> and, so that, and that's what it's called. It's kind of a summary line. Uh, I'm going to call it our rope, because what we're doing today is as we go through the passage, as you already heard Courtney read it, it's kind of heavy. It's kind of dark. It's even unsettling a little bit. It's un it can be uncomfortable because it's chaotic. It's the people sinning, rebelling, outright abandoning the Lord, it says, just completely turning away. And the Lord gets angry. And so there's a lot going on here that as we go through it, I don't want you to get lost. So I'm going to put this rope in your hand that as we walk together, uh, it's a safe, uh, we're all going to stay together. We're all going to make it through. We're all going to make it out to the other side. And like I said, should draw, lift our eyes to the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, and should draw you to repentance and worship. Uh, and so here's the rope. It is, 
God is faithful even when his people are not. And that sounds, it can sound simple, but it's actually extremely important to know and to believe and to remind ourselves constantly. We are called to faithfulness. We are called to obedience. And yet, even when we fail, even when we sin, even when we do these things, God is steadfast, faithful. He does not change. He does not waver. We have separation between what we believe and what we say and then sometimes what we do. We have compartments, you know, sometimes. Sometimes we can be inconsistent. I know I can, so I don't want to blast all of you guys. I don't want to insult you today. Uh, I know I can be inconsistent. So, you know, what we say, what we do sometimes don't line up. But, God, that doesn't exist. What he says is what he means, and he means what he says, and what he says is what he does. He's faithful to his word. He's faithful to his people. Uh, This does not uh, teeter-totter on your faithfulness. So that's comforting. Um, So to do a little bit of recap again, just to catch us up so we can dive into the passage of today. uh, In chapter 1, or at the beginning of chapter 2 really, the angel of the Lord was rebuking the people of Israel. When Joshua was still there, they were supposed to drive out the Canaanites. They were supposed to drive out these other nations, and they didn't do that. They are in the promised land, so uh, flowing with milk and honey, and they didn't drive out the people they were supposed to drive out. And so he rebukes them, telling them, they're, now the Lord's saying, I'm not going to drive them out for you. Their people are actually going to become a thorn in your side, and their gods, their little g-gods, will become a snare for you. You'll, it'll be a trap. It'll be something hard to break free from. Um, and the little G-God comment, by the way, is thanks to Courtney Maffitt, a uh, uh, kindergarten teacher, that it's a helpful language tool, by the way. Anytime you're reading the Bible and you're like, God, and then gods, and then God, these gods, and then those gods, it's like, let's make a distinction. There is one true God, big G-God, you know, of he- the creator of the universe, and then there's all these other little G-Gods, not really gods, but we call them gods, and we worship them and serve them like as idols. So anyways, anytime we're talking about gods, just, that's the language that's in my head, so I've Referred to them as little G gods. They don't. They don't get the same glory and same honor as God. You know, even though they can be in the same sentence. So um, let's look at verse number six. Let's jump in um, and and we're gonna go go through this first part a little quickly because again, it's a little still recap. Joshua. So after they were rebuked, they worshipped the Lord. They cried out to him. They sacrificed to him. And then he dismissed the people back to the land. Uh, verse six. Dismissed people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. The all the days comment, underline that or highlight that or just make a note. That's an important phrase. Uh, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. They uh, The people served the Lord as long as these guys were in place. And Joshua, the son of Nun, verse 8, the servant of the Lord died at the age of 110. Verse 9, they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath Harris in the hill country of Ephraim and north of the Mount of Gaash. Verse 10a, the first part of verse 10, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. Joshua, if you, if you were to go back into his story, in his book, you, you may be familiar with the passage. It's kind of a famous passage uh, of where, you know, be strong and courageous. Uh, I will never leave you or nor forsake you. Some interesting language here that the Lord is using in the beginning of Joshua. He says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just like here when we saw that they served the Lord 
all the days of Joshua, all the days that he was around, and the elders were around, that they had these leaders in place. So note that. Um, And then he continues on uh, in Joshua saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to do all that is written in the law. So we'll see that flesh out a little bit later in in our passage of today. Verse 9, do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Or another translation would say distressed. I think you saw that word already. We're really going to highlight that later. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Very comforting, uh, very beautiful commitment and covenant that he makes and warnings that he gives Joshua, that the Lord gives Joshua. So let's um, continue on in Judges. So verse 10, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And immediately as you're reading this, as I was reading this, I just, you have to ask the question, what? How do they not know the Lord? Were the stories not shared? Of course they were shared. Israel, they, as they rise up, they talk about it. As they go about their day, they talk about it. And when, before they lay their, lay their head to rest, they're talking about it. They have tassels. They have all these things to remind them of what God has done. Every time he talks to them, he's like, I am the Lord, the God of your fathers who brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of slavery. I have cared for you. I have done all these things for you. So... But let's not get distracted or caught up in just, um, is, so was it the kids just not listening, you know, the parents, you know, <laughs> whose fault is it, the older generation or the younger generation? That could be a fun debate. Uh, but I would say, let's say both. Let's say somehow the older generation didn't communicate well enough because kids, you know, have weird language and vocabulary. And uh, <laughs> I can say that because I'm right in the middle and, you know, I can kind of pick on, uh, or maybe, I don't know if I'm getting closer to one side now. Uh, um, I was with the kids this week at summer camp, and within seconds of gathering together, they had already created alternate names for themselves. And I was like, wait, what did he? I overheard it, thankfully. So I was able to keep track of it. Like, oh, so that's Pablo. And that's like, they're just making stuff up. Like his name is never, I'm not going to tell you his name. Uh, so I'm going to pick on the kids. <laughs> but you know who I'm talking about. And um, it was just, it's interesting because they had their own dialect. Rabbit trail. Um, so don't get, let's not get caught up in that is my point. The word know here is to perceive and to find out or to know by experience, which it says that here they didn't know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. So there's, what they're saying here is that there's a lack of relationship. There's a lack of intimacy. There's a lack of experience with the Lord. Um, they did not follow him. They did not walk and talk with him. Uh, they did not obey his commands and follow his word. Um, and I will say that the further we get as humans from a moment of God's grace, the more we forget it. Our fallen, broken human condition is that we forget. But even more so, it's not just that they forget like it slips our minds, you know, although that's very real. My, I forget many things, as my wife can attest, and I should repent regularly about. So it can that we do forget things, but there's something deeper, another layer to peel back, and that they didn't know the Lord didn't mean that they never heard about him, but there's a lack of intimacy, a lack of relationship and experience. So by forget for us, I mean we grow cold and numb, uh, maybe even jaded by the circumstances of life, worn down, beat down, or if things are great, 
maybe on the flip side, you become entitled and start assuming and presuming upon God's grace. He always does this. I never do that. I mean, it always works out. He's done that before, so he'll do that again. It's just, and we just presume upon him and, and, and abuse the grace of God. Um, but this is why our mission here at Genesis is making Jesus known. This is why we sing theologically accurate worship songs about who God is and who we are so we don't get things twisted up. Uh, That's why we have community and share the good, the bad, the sad, the the difficult with each other. We have discipleship groups, scripture memorization songs because we forget. And what I want to say about the jaded and assuming and presuming on God's grace, what happens is we grow distant in our hearts, not the Lord. We get distracted from all of the distractions, not God. And we are deceived. God's not a liar. That's, this is what's happening here. There's a sin problem on a heart level. So let's look at verses 11 through 13. You, we read it just a little bit ago. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They served the Baals, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they went after other gods. They literally, literally doing the opposite of repentance, which is you know turning from your sin, turning to God. They are abandoning the Lord and turning to these little G-gods, serving and following them, adopting all of the practices around them and the cultures around them, which we'll hear more about next week as well with Justin. I know he's going to be dialing in on that, on how would they just adopt and accept the culture around them. Um, So that's what they're doing. And so verse 12, they went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord, in verse 13, and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. They were unfaithful. We can just say that, and we can relate to this, to the idolatry. I think it's very easy to just judge them as modern Americans of like, yeah, we don't have little trinkets that we're bowing down to. We don't have these weird rituals and practices, but we have a lot of modern ideas of, you know, uh, self-help and therapy and just not to insult those things, but just we have a lot of cultural ideas that aren't biblical ideas that God has given us. It's just cultural ideas and it's, you know, preferences and it's, you know, um, tolerance rather than love and which love bears all things, hopes all things, believes all things. Tolerance, I don't know really what that does other than just don't say anything because you don't want to offend somebody. But I don't want to rabbit trail on that either. Again, adopting the idea of, I would say even the main overarching heart of the culture, which is you just do you and I'll just do me. Uh, What's true for you is true for you and what's true for me is true for me. You know, like let's just kind of have our own thing. I don't care what you do, which I hear people say that so often. I'm like, that actually sounds kind of, not loving or kind at all. You don't care. What do you mean you don't care? It's like, oh, no, that's not what I meant. Um, Like, I care. I just, you know, again, you just do you. It's almost like truth is irrelevant. The idea of what should we be doing is irrelevant. Let's, Let's pursue that. Not just assuming that I have it all figured out or you have it all figured out, but let's pursue what should we be doing. Um, The people of Israel were clearly 
not asking those questions. They are just fully engulfed in the cultures around them, and they are bowing down. They are, their hearts are pursuing and running after these little G-gods, not bowing down before the Lord who has delivered them time and time again. Just really unpacking this unfaithful. I want you to feel the unfaithfulness and thus relate to it. The greed. Um, it's also easy to judge people based on the outward sins and the outward idols. You know, the more flamboyant, the more loud mouth, obnoxious idol, you know, uh, which I can be. But the, the heart issues of selfishness and, and greed and envy and and jealousy, all these things that are happening in here that actually affect what you're doing. It's just, you can cover it up with, oh, that's not what I meant. You know, I, I, and you're, you're excusing and you're explaining away rather than being honest and bearing your heart before the Lord. Uh, anyways, they're being indoctrinated at every turn. They're bowing down. And I think we can relate with that. And so verse 14, part A, the beginning of it is they provoked him to anger. The f- uh, the anger of the Lord was kindled, sorry. So the anger of the Lord was kindled. And what I want you to hear here, hear here, is the anger of the Lord is not a fire that's just constantly blazing. He's not walking around like some mad tyrant looking to crush somebody, not just some distant deity, you know, just waiting to, ah, you messed up, and smite you. That is not the position of the Lord. He is patient and slow to anger. He really is. It, so they kindled. If you've started a fire recently, which hopefully you haven't, it's June, so uh, in Texas. But I do know a couple people who have recently. I'm not going to look at them directly right now. But uh, <laughs> how's that? <laughs> um, it, to start a good fire, to start a fire that's going to burn uh, thoroughly all the way through it's a slow and deliberate process, right? Like you get the little kindling, you're fanning and blowing that f- uh, to, to ignite it. You're intentionally provoking it to, to burn. And that's what the people of Israel are doing here. Um, yeah, I know, I just throw gasoline on it most of the time just because I'm not a Boy Scout, so I'm just, um, Anyways, that's actually partially of how my relationships can go sometimes. I'm just like... Oops, that was really fast. Really messed that up. Uh, it's not slow or diligent. Anyways, the point that it, to draw out from this is that his anger, he is patient. He is slow to anger. We must know that about the Lord. That it, I could, and I feel it for myself, so I wonder if you can connect with this, of just feeling like every little thing you can start to interpret and read into like, he's, oh, he's punishing me again. Or he's just, he's always looking to teach me a lesson. He's always looking to just put me down a little bit or knock me down a peg. He's not petty like that. He loves you and cares for you. There is consequences to your disobedience. He is a loving father who will discipline you, but he's not petty. He, again, he's not distant. He is present with you, caring for you. <clears throat> But Israel suffers the consequences of this. And we see in verse 14 to 15, he gave them over to the plunderers who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of the surrounding enemies so that they can no longer withstand their enemies. They are being overwhelmed, overrun, possibly indebted to these people and enslaved to these people, engulfed by them. Uh, Verse 15, when they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned them and as the Lord had sworn to them. He's faithful to his word. 
He does what he says, he means what he says, and he means, and his actions and words are not separate. Um, so this actually fulfills the judgment that I said at the beginning from chapter 2, verse like 1 through 5, 1 through 6, uh, that God, he says these little G-gods, they're going to become a thorn in your side. They're going to become a snare to you. I will not drive them out. So this is now fulfilling. We're seeing, and throughout Judges, you'll see that, that word of the Lord is going to come about. The people become ensnared. That's actually the conclusion of the book is they are completely entangled in the civilian affairs and the cultures around them. Um, <clears throat> the last detail in verse 14, was it 15? Yes. Um, that they were in terrible distress. That feels heavy and dark almost. Um, unsettling, again, uncomfortable. I think the takeaway, all those feelings are okay because the takeaway we should have from this is it's serious. The Lord is very serious about his word. He's committed and faithful to his word. And so when he says do this, he means do it. And when he says this will happen when you don't, this happens. It's very serious. So I don't want to uh, escape from that or lessen that for you right now. I want us to feel it, uh, which is a challenge, can be challenging. But I, I do want to draw a very important distinction here. So track with me for a moment on this one. This is a very important distinction that was really on my heart as I read and study and that as I think about sharing it with people, I pray to God that you hear this and Jesus opens your eyes to this because we need to know this. There is a difference and a distinction between wrath and discipline. Very, very important. There is, the Bible says that we are born sinners in Romans. Uh, in Ephesians, it says we're children of wrath. Uh, it says, what is the other thing in Ephesians? Um, that we are sons of disobedience. So it, it identifies us. We are either in Adam, children of wrath, but it says also in Ephesians, but God being rich in mercy made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. You know that. The kids were memorizing Ephesians in school this past year. Um, so for the Christian, the wrath of God, his punitive wrath that is for sin and all that sin touches and all of the poison that it releases and all of the corruption that it brings, it infects and affects every bit of creation and just corrodes all that sin does. God's wrath for that, that we deserve because we contribute with our sin, that wrath has been completely, totally, thoroughly satisfied and absorbed by Jesus Christ on the cross. The Son of God, his death, burial, and resurrection has completely absorbed. We don't get a drop of it. You don't get a, just a little, little smack of God's wrath saying, nah, you shouldn't have done that. Wrath, maybe discipline, maybe he's going to teach you and instruct you, but he is not wrathful towards you. There is a difference between the wrath for an unrepentant unregenerate, unbelieving sinner, there is a difference between wrath for that person and the very real, possibly very intense 
discipline of the love of your heavenly Father. Do you see that? Can we wrap our minds around that? We must know that. The people of Israel were very disobedient, but they're not children of wrath. They are called a holy nation, a royal priesthood. They're a treasured possession. And if your faith is in Christ this morning, that's good news for us. We are that same person. We are called, chosen, holy, set apart, royal priesthood, even though we act like a royal something else, okay? Um, I didn't mean to make it a joke, but I hope that sticks with you, that you hear that, um, <laughs> you know. And again, Hebrews 12 is a good reference if you want to write it down, that God disciplines those he loves. It's actually a sign that you belong to him, that you're his child because he disciplines you. We can rejoice in that. Listen, nobody likes discipline. It even says that. The scripture's like, hey, let's be honest. Nobody likes discipline. But it's a, it is good. <laughs> nobody likes it. But it's good. And it's a sign, an affirmation that God loves you, that he's committed to you. Um, and so I did, I made those big distinctions. I want to draw all that out because it's very important to know where we stand with the Lord. Because we should either take great comfort or take great caution. We should either take great comfort in knowing that we don't get a drop of God's wrath towards sin. But Jesus has paid it all. All to him we owe. Not that we can actually repay him. That's never going to happen. But it's simply because all is all we have. And he's worthy of it all. But for the, for the unbelieving person, take great caution and consider today the word of the Lord. Uh, remember the rope I put in your hand. God is faithful, even when his people are not. This is good news. Lift your eyes. That was heavy. This is intense. Now lift your eyes, though, and see verse 16. Let's look at it together. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. They didn't ask for that. They didn't know what they needed. They were acting insane and foolish and wicked and sinful and rebellious. And the Lord raised up somebody, a leader, a judge, a chief, a warrior type of person, not just a gavel, not a courtroom judge, uh, to, to save them and deliver them from their enemies, from being plundered that is a beautiful grace and mercy of the Lord we have to see that I think when we read through these narratives it can be easy to, to just keep reading and keep reading a lot happens in each part of a sentence you know uh, so in a couple verses we could go on through years and generations of what's happening so slow down hear this see this that it's it stands out wait the Lord didn't just crush them and abandon them and walk away and say, I'm going to find somebody else. He raised up somebody to deliver them. Man, praise God. Now, we get further into madness, further into the downward. It's not, it's not a cycle, like just spinning around doing the same thing. It's, it's down. It's getting worse and much deeper rooted in the heart, in the, who they are. 
verse 17, they did not listen to their judges. They finally had somebody to listen to and follow and kind of be trained by. They didn't listen. They hoard after other gods and bow down to them. This gives us the language of desire and passion and a heart position of they don't, they're not, not only have they forgotten the Lord, they don't even, they don't even have a desire for the Lord. It's not like they're wrestling right now. Do I, do the, do I follow the Lord? Do I follow the culture? No, they're, they're, oh, this culture, these gods, these practices, this foolishness. They just want it. And they soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. We do this by saying, yeah, but, you know, whenever God provides, God does something. And we're like, yeah, but, I mean, it wasn't exactly what I had hoped for. It was exactly what I wanted. I mean, he did it. He provided, he answered the prayer differently than how I expected him to answer the prayer. Um, so we can relate with this. Verse 18, whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies. Look at the last four, couple, six words. Sorry, I can't count. All the days of the judge. Remember Joshua, the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. So there's some repetition here, and the Bible is very well written since it's written by the author of writing and life. Um, so focus on those things. It stands out. What is, what is being said here by all the days of the judge, all the days of Joshua? It's screaming, who's going to lead Israel? That's what the book of Judges is, is begging this answer, this, this question of saying, who is going to lead God's people? They, when they have a leader, everything's going okay. When the leader's gone, the people are insane. And sin, sorry, insane's not a good word. Sinful. They are corrupt. They are, their hearts are wayward. They are prone to wander. They do not follow the Lord. They don't have the, a physical representation, a leader, a godly leader that is hearts after the Lord. It's begging the question, uh, who is going to lead Israel? That's what we see here. He saved them all the days of the judge. So every time you see a judge... There's salvation, there's deliverance, there's some form of peace in the land and amongst the people. That's a gift. But when the judge is gone, it gets much worse. We see in verse 19, whenever the judge died, the people turned back to other gods. It's interesting here, another thing to draw out in verse 18b and 19, um, that they cry out to the Lord, they're groaning, Chapter one, they're crying. Later in the book, you'll see they're they're wailing and kind of they're, they they'll regularly cry out. It's kind of hard to interpret whether or not it's like a Lord help us, like a sincere help us God, or more like oh this is so terrible. When will we be delivered from this oppression that we basically brought on ourselves? You know, like so it's hard to interpret some of it, except that they are crying. And then, but specifically here in verse. 18 and 19, it says, For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them, bowing down to them. In the last line, they did not drop any of their practices or stubborn ways. So I would argue that last sentence makes a pretty good case of we're not looking at real repentance here. Um, you may see some other times throughout the book um, that they, they're responding a little differently. But for the broad stroke of what this chapter is doing, they're saying these people, they don't drop any of their practices. They don't drop any of their stubborn waves. And so what I want to unpack for you for just a moment, something that I relate greatly to, is regarding repentance is there's worldly sorrow 
and lip service, things where you, you're grieved over the sin, the, the, the hurt or the pain that you've caused somebody. Like it, it hurts to see somebody hurt. Um, you're grieved maybe that the sin came to light because it's ugly, it's messy, and it's like, oh, man, I'm really sorry that it happened. Words like unfortunate come to mind or disappointing, uh, which I'm a master of being, a master, being loving words, loving poetry and loving to choose the right adjective or right adverb. And um, I'm really guilty of that. I was going to say good, but I was like guilty of that, (laughs) of phrasing it just right, which goes along with lip service of I'm saying the right things. I even know how to confess and ask for forgiveness and and say that, man, that that really sucks, that that hurt you so bad. I, I don't want to hurt you. And I think some of us can relate with this, like especially the men. Like We don't want to hurt our wives with our words. But I can be personally very foolish and careless with my words and almost heartless in the sense of it's, that was really ugly. That, that was really almost hateful. You know, like, do you, do you, she, do you hate me? And, huh? and I'm like, no, no, I don't hate you. I love you. What are you talking about? I, of course I love you. We've married 12 years. But I say things that are harsh that I should not. And when I repent of them, I need to call those specific things out and own that with no excuse. No ex- Well, see, what happened was you said that and it made me think this. And I'm sorry, I just kind of got, or maybe the kids were talking in my ear, which is very real, <laughs> irritating the fire out of me. I'm trying to repent to my wife and now I'm just yelling at everybody. Um, great case example, by the way. That's why they put me up here. They're like, here, talk about this stuff, Derek, and you'll have plenty to talk about. Um, so please know, we are uh, no perfection. No, I don't even... Let's take perfection off the table. Uh, Lots of maturity to go. Lots of room to grow. Lots of development to further. Okay, guys? And so there's there's worldly sorrow where it's just you're grieved. There's some grievance over it because sin is ugly and painful. There's lip service where you're kind of just, you're good at saying the right thing. Or you figured out, okay, when I say this, she responds that way. Okay, I'm figuring out the game. Learning marriage, you know? Um... And, but it really, it's just to keep up a facade, to protect yourself. It's kind of more for show. There's no sincerity. There's no desire to actually change. So then there's, there's those things, and then there's true godly repentance. Um, it not only says the right things. It's not only taking responsibility for your actions. It's confessing honestly and thoroughly the wickedness of your sin. It's not only grieved over the pain and the trouble or the trauma that you've caused someone or yourself. Uh, But first and foremost, it's humbled before the Lord. And it allows that you would even have the opportunity and the gift to repent. It's a gift. I think that is, I shared that with somebody recently that I never heard of it. Repentance as a gift. I'm like, it is a gift that you can confess and turn. You have the ability and power by the Spirit of God in you, Christian, to say, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to change. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to change. And the, the faster you get to that point, the faster you catch it, turn, catch it, turn, and run and flee from temptation. 
the better it is, the closer to God, the, the healthier your relationships are, the more joy you have, the more God gets glory. We say, Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit. Cast me not away from your presence. Don't take your spirit from me, Lord. Be with me. And it's a gift that he does. You, so this is not what the people of Israel did. But I would say it's what you and I, that's what we should do. Uh, we have the opportunity today, right now even, respond to the grace of God and drop any of our practices or stubborn ways that they didn't drop, that we know we need to drop. Verse 20, because they did not do this. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. They're fanning that flame. They're arousing his anger. You're going to see in other chapters that his anger is burning hot. They are just, they are, the rebellion and outright disregard. He says, because this people have transgressed my covenant that I have commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. He's going to test them. We, there's a couple things to draw out from here, just some interesting th- uh, points of, he says, because this people have transgressed my covenant, transgressed my covenant. He's, he didn't say my people. He's speaking them almost of like, they're, it's the culture. It's like, because of this people, like there's, there's this a little bit of detachment. Like that's how upset, that's how offended, that's how ugly their rebellion is and how like they are distancing themselves from him um, that He's speaking of them a little differently, uh, as if they're the pagans, just like the pagans, which they are becoming. They transgressed his covenant and disobeyed his voice, which is exactly what he told Joshua not to do. And he told them um, that he said in that Joshua passage, he said, do not be uh, discouraged, do not be fearful, do not be dismayed or distressed. And what do we see here? They are in terrible distress Because they have disobeyed his voice. The result of his anger now in verses 21 to 22, he says, I will no longer drive out any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test the people when they will, if they will obey the commandments of the Lord or not. So the means that God uses to um, teach his people war that had not known it before are all of these other nations. He's, teaching them what they're going to experience the Lord now. They had not experienced him. They weren't there whenever he split the sea, when he made bread fall from heaven, water come out of a rock. They weren't with Joshua when they were marching around Jericho and just screamed and praised the Lord and the walls fall down. Like they weren't there. They didn't get to see the Lord deliver them battle after battle and give them victory after victory. This generation is clueless to that, other than the stories that they heard, which they clearly have just abandoned and pretend like it's not even there, not even real. And so what he uses is all these nations, the Canaanites, the Hittites, uh, the Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. They took, listen to this, the one more um, thing that, uh, that really signifies what happens here at the end and what is the conclusion of the book. They took the pagan women for their own wives. The people of Israel did this. And they gave their own daughters, Israelite daughters, to the pagans for marriage. And I think the marriage symbolism is probably the perfect symbol 
to identify what's happening with these people. They have become one, which is what marriage is, right? You have two becoming one. You have Israelites and any other culture, all these cultures around them that we just looked at, becoming one. They are no longer acting and behaving and following the Lord, being a holy set-apart nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen people, treasured possession, all these sweet, beautiful things that we believe that we are. They're not doing that. They have just adopted and married the culture around them. Um, Why must the people know war then? To see and experience the faithfulness of God and to learn dependency on him. And I would say careful obedience. Because he says, remember, he told Joshua, be careful to do all that is written in the law. And we see here that they are not careful to do any of what was written. And, and so the Lord is going to test them to see if they will do it or not, is what the passage says, right? So we're going to see. And so I'll land with this, is that they were in terrible distress. It seems as if they're destined to repeat this, this cycle of unfaithfulness, this spiral into complete madness, unless someone intervenes with a permanent solution, more than a leader, more than a judge, more than even a king, because this is pointing to we need a king. The, the, uh, the series is called No King in Sight. They need a leader. They need a king. But we need more than that. Because that, that king, King David, who does he point us to? King Jesus. We need the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We need Jesus. And so what do we do with this? I'll speak just two application points, uh, one to your heart and one to your hands. And I kind of cheated because the two points have a bunch of points within them. But it's okay. One is to your heart. Remember. Remember the Lord. Remember the goodness of the Lord. Recite his word. Read his word. Dwell on his goodness. Dwell on the stories. Go back in your memories. Share with friends. Talk about him. Uh, Praise him. Worship him. Again, just dwell. Uh, Don't be like the Israelites who forgot, who just moved on, who just hoard after and longed for these other gods and bowed down to them. It's what the scripture says. Remember, share this with others. The first passage that I, that I can remember ever memorizing, and I'll never forget the sweet Bible teaching lady uh, who taught it to us. She said, Psalms 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. She said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not, forget not, all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies you with good, with good, so that your strength is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes justice and righteousness for all who are oppressed. He made his ways known to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord, it literally says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Remember that. You don't have a tyrant or a distant deity. 
that's looking to smite. You have somebody who cares. You have the creator of the universe who is also the universal judge and who is also your heavenly father who disciplines his children because he loves them. That's to your heart. To your hands, it's pretty simple. Obey. Respond to his word. Today, he, you've seen, he takes it very serious. He means what he says. So obeying for you, for me, might look like repentance. It might look like crying out to God, please have mercy on me. And remember, he's inclined his ear. He has come all the way down to meet you right where you are and listen to you. He's not like you really got to scream at him. Like He's like, no, what do you have to say? And, and I just whisper to him at times, help me. I don't, sometimes, believe it or not, I don't have eloquent words or poetic words. I just say, help me. I am suffering or struggling. There is a war going on. I need help. I need your spirit. And he has come all the way in the person and work of Jesus Christ to meet you right where you are. If you are in Christ, receive the Father's discipline as a child. Obey all the way, right away with a happy heart. I tell my kids that. But receive it as a, as a father is disciplining you. You're not being punished by a tyrant. You're being disciplined by a father. And also, don't misinterpret every little thing to be like, oh, he's punished me again. Oh, he's teaching me a lesson. No, man, my AC is out or this AC is out in my car, in my house, you know, whatever it is. It's not always that he's just angry at you or teaching you a lesson. Sometimes there's... The world is broken and things rust and dust returns to dust, does it not? And sometimes we reap what we sow. So um, for the unbeliever, I would just say have the faith of a child. Respond to him today. Consider these words.